Welcome to the Move Forward Podcast with Dr. Kim Moss. We are here to move you forward in the call of God for your life, your career, and your ministry through prophetic insight, practical teaching, and powerful conversations with influential leaders. Never throw away your confidence. It is time to move forward. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Move Forward with Dr. Kim Moss. We are in the middle of our summer series with Dr. Alan Hawkins, and we are talking about the covenant. This is week six of 10 weeks, maybe 11, but we are uh, six weeks into this. So if you are just joining us, we are so glad that you are here and you are going to really get something out of today's podcast. However, I would strongly encourage you to go back and listen to the first five because we are going from Genesis to Revelation, following the thread, the red thread of the covenant. And um, and it's all about Jesus. And so uh, please do that. Remember to grab your Bible, grab a pen and paper because you're going to want to take some notes. And uh, and I am so excited to say welcome Dr. Hawkins. Thanks for being with me today again, Dr. Hawks. So fun. I'm learning so much. Well, I'm excited to be here. <clears throat> You've made a reference, which yeah. is really what we're doing. Um, the The scarlet thread is, uh, if people remember the reference, that's the reference to the, the indicator that uh, Rahab, the harlot, puts in her window. Um, yeah. For, for when the when God's people come in and plunder the, the city of Jericho and she saves her people with that scarlet thread, um, that's basically what we're doing is that we're 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 giving uh, what one preacher used to call the scarlet thread through the Bible. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, W.A. Criswell was the prince of preachers and he was the pastor at First Baptist Church in, in Dallas. And uh, Dr. Criswell used to um, occasionally uh, preach a sermon that, I don't know, mythologically maybe was all night, but uh, it was one of those things that was started very early and it went very late. As he told the whole story of Jesus through the Bible, and he called it the scarlet thread through the Bible. Now, I don't have that sermon, and I, I never did, but that, that's kind of what we're doing is that we're following the blood of Christ um, through the Old Testament. Because Kim, we're in a covenant with God and the covenant is a blood covenant. And it's a blood covenant because it, it, it's a covenant sealed by life and it's a covenant that requires our life. And mm. that's what God wants from us and for us. From us, he wants our lives. The only thing you have to offer God that he can't get somewhere else is you. Everything else he can get, he can get it somewhere else. Um, uh, and then God offers himself to us in return. That's what covenant is. And we become his people. We're at an interesting juncture. We're Noah's, Noah, the righteous man. <laughs> and I call this Noah's drunkenness. Yes, Canaan. we're finishing up really last week, right? Mm -hmm. We're really, we, we're sort of backing up a little bit and just finishing week five. This is where we where we stopped off because it was going to be uh, it was going to be an interesting, controversial thing. Well, and I'm going to I'm going to say something that needs to be said over and over and over in biblical parlance. The 
fatherhood is so central because Kim, the father is the priest king of the family and the father tells his children who they are. Mm. He tells them who they are. A blessing is actually a father uh, telling you who you are. I, I had the most wonderful experience last week of meeting a man who talked about his father blessing him, his father doing this uh, before he died. As usual, the, the relationship had some strain in it, but in a very, very dis, uh, distinct way, uh, before his father died, he he spoke a father's blessing over him. Everywhere I go, I, I try to speak a father's blessing. And it's very important. It comes from the Bible where the, pro, the father prophetically tells his children who they are. And, and that's where we kind of come to. We won't, we, but first I've got to set the stage because old Noah, the righteous man comes out of the flood and builds a vineyard and makes wine and gets himself roaring drunk. And when, and when he does, one of his sons goes in and, oh my goodness, Kim, something terrible happens. It's not in this text. It's uh, okay. Uh, but we'll, we'll, this, this text that you put up is the one that will come out of it. But, but what, what Noah did, I mean, uh, what happened is one of Noah's sons, Ham, did something. Um, because yeah. Noah got drunk, and then it says, and he woke up, and he knew what his son had done. Mm. And the the text of Scripture tells us that that uh, that what he did was he uh, uncovered his father's nakedness. I'm going to see if I can just uh, turn to it very quickly, and. Um, Noah, this is, we don't have a text on this, began to be a man of the soil, planted a vineyard. He, be, he drank the wine, became drunk, and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, and knew what his youngest son he had done to him. Then he spoke. Now, mm. now, Kim, he, yeah. he did something to him. The idea here is not that um, his son had discovered him. The idea is that his son had done something to him. Yes. And there's a lot of question about what that is. Yeah, there is. I've heard all kinds of things. Well, um, let's lay some, one thing to rest. Um, okay. I think for sure it is not, um, uh, it's not a father-son uh, sexual act. So it was okay. not that. But okay. it does seem to have been a sexual act. And um, if you see... Your father's nakedness in the book of Leviticus. That means you have seen you've seen your mother's nakedness. And so the idea here is dad got drunk. Yeah. And 
his son is planning a coup to become the head of the clan. Oh. You know that? Yeah. Yeah. The way you conquer someone is to rape their wife. In the ancient Ooh. world, this is very and it lasted for a long, long time. When when you when you conquer a man, you rape his wife. And and that is your that is your mastery over that man. And so yes, I'm suggesting that that Ham committed maternal incest. Wow, that that um yeah, that makes that makes so much sense of that passage and why there was so much rage over what had what he did and the consequences. The rage is over what he did and um when Noah does later speak the blessing, Ham is left completely out. Mm -hmm. Ham so the brothers, the brothers covering, what, what does that mean? Like the they cared? The brothers bring protection. They, okay. They're acting protectively. They're acting appropriately protectively. And, you know, he doesn't, wake up and know he wakes up and, and it's, you know, it's expressed. So watch what happens when Noah yeah. woke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him. He said, cursed be Canaan, the servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. Now, Kim Canaan is the son of um, Ham. Canaan yeah. is not his son. So the curse of Canaan into servitude is, um, is a pretty shocking piece of literature. And I want you to note something that we, we learned a lot more about this later uh, when we see the Canaanites. Yes. And the Canaanites become, um, they become the most perverse people that, that you can imagine. I won't say that they've ever lived because I don't know that. I don't know what yeah. was before God destroyed the earth and I don't know enough about what's after. But they became extremely perverse and were prototypically the most perverse people of their time. And in the book of Leviticus, um, when, when there's a, a long list of curses, it's all about the sins of the Canaanites. Yes. And the idea here seems to be that that this curse on Canaan is a curse on the I'm going to I'm going to say this and this is controversial but it's a curse on the offspring that came forth from this act that um Ham had done. So the suggestiveness is that Canaan himself may have been the son of maternal incest. So Alan, it, as a question in that, the curse on the offspring, um, mm -hmm. I can remember in scripture, of course, that there does come a time. There is a time in scripture when the sins of the fathers are perpetuated onto the, the sons and blah, blah, blah. And then, but then there is a time when the children no longer Right, that the children no longer are responsible for the sins of their fathers, if I'm getting that right. 
So is that sort of what's going on here? Like, I, because I think what I, I guess what I'm asking is that, of course, in Christ, there is no curse that comes down our family line that can continue in our lives. We get to break that off because of the life of Christ. Yeah, I'm, I'm very big on the fact that I believe that in, in Christ, every curse is broken. Yeah. Um, but but this was um, this this was something that did appear to to flow down into the family line. Now, look, it's very interesting because coming into the flood, God was doing what? He was acting in judgment against um, a sin, a sexual sin that came between the divine sons of men and the uh, sons of God and the daughters of men and the offspring it produced. And then we come out of the flood and a similar thing happens within Noah's own covenant family. Mm. So that this thing is both before and after the flood. Nothing um, new under the sun. You made mention that, uh, that, yeah. And that's why the, in the text of scripture, it said that these men of renown, that this happened both before and after the flood. Uh, I'm going to again refer to Michael Heiser. And if you if you if you study Michael Heiser, he makes a lot of the fact that that this um, war. That is this holy war that's against the Canaanite people, that this war is actually a war against um, the re the repetition of that of that line of the um, the giants. So you have not only Nephilim. humanity here entering into this, you have the return of the Nephilim. Except after the flood, they're called the Anakim. Why? It's a different. It's a different line. Sons, sons of a sons of Anakim. And and uh, interesting, but but again, those giants are there. Now I don't. I haven't directly answered your question because there does yeah. come a time we read it in Ezekiel when he says, "No longer shall you say the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on teeth edge. are set on edge, but the soul that sins will die." So personal responsibility is then said to be true. But Kim, I think it's always been true that you may have had a curse that was upon your line, but you're still personally responsible. So even people today who have failed fatherhood and failed motherhood and who, who have trauma and drama in their lives, the idea is that you're still personally responsible for your own actions and you're not responsible for their actions. Um, That's right. Though you are the sometimes the object of their abuse. Yeah. So, so this is a mysterious thing, but look, it says, um, um, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be to his brothers. He also said, blessed be the Lord, there's the word Yahweh, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. And then verse 27, may God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. So what's mm -hmm. being said here is that the, the, the Canaan line, um, that's going to be, they're going to be servants. And Kim, when this says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, 
this designates Shem as the recipient of the blessing that was on the line of staff. That blessing wow. being that blessing being that that this is the this is election. This is God's favored one. So Kim, we're looking for Jesus. Blessed yeah. be the Lord, the God of Shem. Um, this, and when you say that by implication, Shem receives the blessing of being um, the Lord is his God in a way that he's favored. So we're going to find the offspring of Jesus in the line of Shem. Okay. And then, and then, uh, so, so what about the seed? A curse comes on Ham. Uh, mm -hmm. Shem hears this blessing. And then this thing about Japheth is interesting and necessary to note. And, and it is that, it is that Japheth hears, may God enlarge Japheth and may he dwell in the tent of Shem. Kim, this means that Japheth's blessing is going to come from, from Shem's household. Family. Yeah. Like he's going to be part of God's family. But, too. but it's, very, it's very specific. It's very yeah. specific. Japheth is not being left out of the blessing, but the blessing is in the tent of Shem. The blessing yes. is not in, in the line of Jacob. And right. so, and so the, the, the God of Shem in Genesis 6, when we, our next slide, um, the God of Shem becomes the language of covenant through the Bible. I will be their God. They will be my people. So God becomes known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but first he is known as the God of Shem. Yeah. Now they know that Shem will be the line of the seed of the woman. And then when you follow the rest of scripture, you get a little bit about the other lines, but this is where you have it. And then um, we're, we're told that the blessing of Shem um, is going to extend beyond the Shemites, but you have to get the blessing from Shem. And mm -hmm. the curse on Ham, we've mentioned it. What is that? It's a curse that's ultimately played out in the Canaanite, and it refers to the future debauchery of those people. And then mm -hmm. of ultimately the necessity that they, that they ultimately will end up being destroyed. So that takes us to the, to the end of uh, the stuff we have on. You're really quick. <laughs> that, that, took, that took us to the end of one and to the beginning of another. Yes, and I, I dropped my glasses. That's what the, that's what you heard. That's why you see me bending down. Okay, there we go, so that I can read something if I need to. Okay, and so now we start something uh, not new, but just moving forward. Yeah, let me... You got yourself prepared, and then I neglected to immediately prepare <laughs> myself. So, and if there's any any other things that you want to say before we start this, or to introduce this, you can feel free. Well, I don't think I have it in the notes here, so I, I don't have it. Go ahead, and you put that up, and then let's just show the next slide, and then I'll I'll, I'll give the comments that I need to give um, okay. immediately. Um, we see the ages of the patriarchs. So look what happens here. 
Um, Methuselah, 969. Noah, 950. And then with Shem, we drop down to 600. And then by the time we get to Abraham, we're at 175. Now that's significant. So what's being said here is that the conditions of the of the world before the flood were amenable to long lives. And I mentioned yes. that mankind was put in exile. He was exiled from Eden. Now he's exiled from the pre-flood world. And, and um, when that exile takes place, life becomes very much more fragile. And we're, we're going to see this again. Like, uh, Abraham's lifespan is 175. By the way, God miraculously lengthens Abraham's um, lifespan. Yep. And then the other lifespans begin to plummet and lifespan falls well below a hundred pretty quickly. And so um, yeah. this is one of those things that people all want scientific explanations for. I don't give them. I'm, I do covenant. I don't do, I don't do science and I don't feel any need to reconcile friends. I don't think science is the enemy of the Bible. <laughs> I don't reconcile friends. And that's good. Hey, Alan, I put I put the PowerPoint in your uh, text thread if you if you need it, if you want to pull it up for yourself. Okay, I have it. I have it. I'm ready okay, to go. Good. All right. Um, Next slide. Um, yes, but yeah, the call of Abram. And okay. I have to be careful to call Abram by his pre-covenantal name, which is Abram. And and Kim between between what happened in the flood and what happens here is some very important passages kim we have the tower of babel uh. and and the necessity of studying that which we don't have time to do in our study but wow it's an incredibly fascinating study and um it, it, it's another study of the attempt of mankind to deify himself. And uh, the Tower of Babel is a time that kind of explains how that the world descended into um, the worship of multiple gods. Mm -hmm. And so the way we understand Babel, when God scattered the languages, is this also becomes the time when uh, nations are formed and when these nations find themselves under the rule of the sons of God. And um, again, Michael Heiser has helped me with this, with what he calls the Deuteronomy 32 worldview. And I would tell people to, to take a look at that. It will, it will inform them. But what we're about to find out is that from the time of Shem to the time of um, Abram is 10 generations. So I don't want our listeners, we're following a seamless story. And Abram is in the line of Shem, but he's 10 generations removed. And he's living in Ur of the Chaldees. And Kim, he's become a worshiper of the moon and of the sun. And yes. by the way, the sun, the sun and moon worship is on the rise again. But... Um, they descended from the worship of one true God in 10 
generations, they descended back into um, the worship of all kinds of other deities. And um, I'm saying that that was a result of the scattering of their languages and of the formation of the nations. And um, way advanced in our future as we study, the day of Pentecost is a reversal of the day of Babel. Yes, um, I agree with that. As people yes, like to say, Babel. All right. Yes, Genesis but it's Babel. Yeah, it is. But, and in Babel, just one last thing. Alan, Babel, um, they try to make a name for themselves. Yeah. I mean, scripture actually says that. And then we find that we find uh, a, a type of that or, or that repeated here in the call of Abram. But they but the, it says that they they attempted to make a name for themselves. OK. And it should be noted that Shem means name oh i did not know that <laughs> yeah there's thank you for that there's, there's plenty of significance in that is yes. that shem is the one who has the name because he's the one who has unmistakably the blessing as the world is experiencing its restoration and repopulation now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family, your father's house to a land I'll show you. And I'll make you a great nation and I will bless you and I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. Um, just going just gonna to point out, I'll be a little careful here. Well, let's just look at it. I have it. Um, in... In verse 3, it says, I will bless those who bless you, and I'll curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So this is the call of Abram. And I just want to point a couple things out um, before I before I finish. Just point this out. So Abram is in Ur of the Chaldees. For context, um, he's, in, he's in Iraq. He's an Iraqi. He's an Iraqi mm. pagan. And I, I sometimes used to shock people and say, uh, Abram was not a Jew. He was, a, <laughs> he was an Iraqi pagan. And that's just the truth. Um, yeah. Because the Jews haven't even come forth yet. They'll come forth from Abram, but they don't exist yet. Now, he says to him, he said, get out of your country from your family, your father's house, uh, to a land I'll show you, and I'll make you a great nation. He says, I'm, I want you to go to a land. I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to bless you, make your name great. And then he says, I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, I want to say, Kim, the, I think the most misused verse in Scripture is Genesis 12, 3a. <laughs> Um, because um, out of people's great love for Israel, they take this verse and they willy-nilly apply it to present-day Israel. And, and they just snatch it out of context. And, and what they say is, if you mistreat Israel, you'll get a curse. And... Mm. 
I think that's a reaction of the world's conscience to try to um, be be good to Israel. And I know, I know, I every time I talk, I lose friends. <laughs> I, I know that. But let me say what this actually is. This is God establishing a protection on the seed of Abraham because the seed of Abraham has been ordained to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And so remember, the context of this is the conflict between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman now is, is, in, is in Abraham or Abram. And God's basically saying, I'm going to protect it. Now, Kim, the purpose for the protection is in the next verse. In you, that is in your seed, Abram, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Yes. They're all going to be protected. So, so sometimes people will say to me that, that if, you, if you even speak a word negatively about Israel, that you're incurring the curse of God and all kinds of things. And I'll say, first of all, that's not what that verse was about. And second of all, um, I do this kind of cheeky thing, Kim. I ask people to say, well, tell me somebody that you can curse and get a blessing. Because you can't curse anyone and get a blessing. <laughs> if, if you curse someone, you're, you're going to reap what you sow. And so, right. and so it's not about speaking against Israel or, or speaking prophetically to Israel. It was about doing. It was about harming the the family line that God had ordained to bring forth a blessing for all the families of the earth. Yes, and, and I'm going to be a little bit more cheeky, and I'm going to say that's been done. We're not waiting for that to happen. It has happened. Now, that doesn't give people any kind of free reign to mistreat Jews or, or, or Israel. It, there's, no, there's no free reign to do that. But let's deal with the scripture as it is. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, what's interesting, Kim, is by the pre-flood ages, that was a young fellow. Yeah. And by post-flood ages, he's not so young. And we're going to find out very quickly that he's already not so young and that yeah. and that probably a um, hundred and, and just past a hundred was all he could have expected to live. Right. And it's going to get real interesting. I note here a little map that shows you. Um, the shortest route from Ur of the Chaldees to the, the, the land of promise was a straight line, but you can't travel a straight line in the ancient world because you'll die in the desert for lack of water. So mm -hmm. what he did was he followed the river route up the Ephraim, up to Haran, and then down the Jordan River. But uh, he went there, Kim, he made the mistake of... Abram was wonderful and he followed the Lord, but he followed the Lord very haltingly because um, he took his father with him. He was told to leave his father and he took his father with him. 
And I, I think there's some holding back that happened with his father. Um, and I think that his father was, uh, was a, a, a very established sun and moon worshiper. And um, I think, I, I think it's not till father dies that Abram gets as free as he needs to be to follow the Lord the way he needed to follow him. Now let's talk about the seed one more time. Let's, that's, <laughs> that's actually very, that's actually very uh, comforting to know, you know, and it goes back to what you said last week about that righteousness is about having a, a relationship, a real relationship with God. It's not about living a spotless life. And so we have Abram, Abram, who, in many at many points in his life, did not live a spotless life. Yet he was counted as righteous. So, anyway, okay, yeah, next. Slide. He was he was a mess his whole life. He was now a mess. Talk, <laughs> he was a mess. This critical issue, interpretive issue of seed in the Bible, and he, and translating the word seed is critical. It must reflect both singular and plural. So, if you call if you if you translate it as descendants. You're making a mistake because you're limiting his seed to the plural, but that's poor. Um, offspring or seed is preferable because we're looking for one person. We're not looking for a group of people. The, the interpretive pursuit of the Bible is the one seed of the woman. Not, it's not all, all the people. And so uh, Israel always made this mistake. Uh, they thought it was them and that they had a special status because of their uh, carrying the blood of Abraham in their veins. But we're going to find out that the covenant follows the faith of Abraham, not the blood of Abraham. And, and <laughs> yes. I have a question. Yeah, go so, ahead. So when you say, uh, so it's not the plural, it's the singular. I know that the seed is Jesus. But yes. post post Jesus, uh, his post Jesus coming to earth, dying and resurrecting and being in us. Now we're in him. He's in us. Don't we become the offspring? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. The whole the whole notion of uh, what happens is that um, that we all become members of the family, and so yeah. the, the the kingdom family is Jews and Gentiles in Christ. Yes. It's not, it's not being Jewish in Abraham. It's being Jew and Gentile in Christ. Yes. And, and yet at the same time, um, we're, our, our heart toward the original covenant people must never be one of uh, rejection or judgment or um, negativity, Dis but, but must be one of honor. So what is at issue? And it's that we're seeking a person, not a, pe not a people. Galatians 3.16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say to seeds as of many, but of one. And to your seed, who is Christ. Yeah. Capital so this S. Is where, this is where Abraham himself. Um, I mean, sorry. This is where Paul himself uh, comes under much, much criticism because of, uh, because of his, um, his notion in this regard. We're about to come to another critical interpretive and also wonderfully um, 
the troubling issue, Abraham and his ties to Melchizedek. And I should say Abram because he's still Abram at this time. So Genesis 14. So Kim, the, the covenant, uh, the promise is made in Genesis 12. We have the call and Genesis. Mm -hmm. um, and then in Genesis 14, we have this experience. And then, and then we're going to come to an amazing chapter, but this is, this is a fun chapter. Genesis uh, 14, 18 and Melchizedek, the king of Salem brings out bread and wine. Now look what he, who he was. He was a priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And so we come to meet this crazy, unusual figure. <laughs> Guy. Yeah. And he blows our mind. And Kim, we looked at him in the book of Hebrews. Remember, we talked about. Yes. Mechism. And we unpacked and explained all this. So this is not really to your hearers, not a surprise, but I'll go ahead and repeat it. Uh, I believe Melchizedek was Shem. And I've already set this up with our, with our listeners and viewers because I showed you that Shem lived 600 years and Abram only lived 175 years. But by that reckoning, uh, Shem is still alive um, when, when Abram comes into the land and he blesses Abram. So let's look at two or three things about him. One, he's a priest of the most high God. That means he's legit. Uh, go back. He's, he's literally from God. He's legit. He's the man. And, um, and we learn in the book of Hebrews that, that he was, uh, somebody will say, well, what about his lineage? The lineage talk in the book of Hebrews is saying that he's not a Levitical priest. He wasn't a Levitical priest. He was a legit priest of the most high God. That is to say the true faith, because when people run into this, they say, "Well, who who is this Melchizedek fellow? You mean there was a there was a, there was a religion? There was a religion that existed before Abraham? Um, absolutely, there was, because there was a relationship that God had with man that existed before Abraham, and it was in the family line of Shem. And Melchizedek is a title, not not a not a name." And Melchizedek, Kim, is the last person in the Bible that we know of who had the blessing. What blessing? The blessing that said God was his God, yes. that he was the favored one. And it's after this blessing of Melchizedek that now God is called the God of Abram. He was the God of Shem. Now he's the God of Abram. Go ahead. What you got? Well, and so... You know, if we go back just a little bit, you talked about how the blessing that was that was given to Shem was also in his tent. And so, you know, so those who came into the tent, into his house, it came under his covering, came into his under his blessing, they would receive the blessing. And here he's passing that blessing 
onto Abraham. It's almost the same. It looks almost to be the same language as when God blessed Shem in the beginning or when Noah yes. blessed Shem. Yes, it's the same blessing. See, now then look, yeah, fathers do have this blessing to give. Yeah. This yeah. thing belongs to these fathers. It's an intentional blessing. And when we come to Jacob, Jacob is the one who covets this blessing. Yeah. And and um Abraham or Abram here is the one who now receives the blessing and Kim he gives tithes. Because yeah. the lesser gives ties to the greater. And again, yes. uh, Melchizedek, if he would have been his family lineage, if he'd have been the oldest living family member who um, uh, over he, he would have been he would have been the priest king of the house. Mm. And and he would have been the recipient of ties as the greater one. And I think that's exactly what we're do, dealing with. Let's look, we'll look at verse. Uh, 21. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've lifted up my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal or a strap or anything that's yours, lest you should say I've made Abram rich. I'll take nothing. So Abram gave tithes to Melchizedek, but he didn't get those tithes from the king of Sodom. He mm. He wouldn't prosper himself off of the king of Sodom. Let's go into chapter 15. I, I don't want to go into the weeds on that very much. I could I could go into some <laughs> weeds, and I don't really yeah. want to because we're going to run out of time. Okay. Now, now this is this is about to get very interesting. And, and again, I'm so glad I, I forgot. I only remembered when we started talking. I said, wait a minute, Kim and I did this Melchizedek thing last summer. I don't have to go yeah. very deep on that. It's there for people if they want to dig into it. But it's really a fascinating study. So it really now, is. Kim, yeah. If people are looking for that, you just go uh, to you go to my podcast from last summer. And Alan and I did, I think we did 12 weeks. Did we do 12 weeks on the book of Hebrews? And it was a fascinating and wonderful study. And each session there is about an hour and a half, which is why we sort of shortened uh, these sessions to an hour because it's, it's a long time to listen, but you will be incredibly blessed and enriched by that study. All right, 15.1, Genesis 15.1. Read that for us. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Let's go ahead to the next one. Okay. And behold, this is Genesis 15, 4. The word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and he said, and I love this passage, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Wow. Okay, so this is this is uh, 
Now, he's already been told this, Kim. I mean, he's already been given this promise in chapter 12. Yeah. Here's yeah. the Lord saying it again. Uh, but from the time that Abram is 75 to the time that he's 99, we know of about five great experiences that he had with the Lord. We don't we, we can assume that he had more, but we know of five. And all of them are doubling down on this covenant, this covenant, this covenant. And um, and when Abraham is being counted righteous, it's because, see, he receives the revelation and he yeah. believes. Yeah. And and so and so he is the man of faith. And I'll um, we'll come to that in just a second. But um, I want to say there's lots of speculation about Abram because, first of all, he brought Lot. He didn't have a son, so he brought a nephew. Then yeah. it's Eliezer of Damascus. And then later it's going to be his plan with Hagar. Uh, Abram is constantly trying to cause um, an offspring to happen. And God's not having it. God's saying, now we're going to bring forth one from your own body. And it's going to be marvelous because he's going to, he's going to move heaven and earth to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and we, I'm laughing because we are all like that. We all try to cause cause whatever we feel like God has said us to, to happen, you know, and, and we, we call that the flesh. Uh, it never works out good. <laughs> it just never works out good, but it's I, so hard. I live, Kim, I live with a sense of destiny in myself that, that has never been fulfilled. And I'm, and I'm almost 69 and I'm haunted by it because I, this sense of destiny that I have. And when you lay down your church you can't cause it to happen. And people say, well, do you know what it is? And I'm like, I actually don't know what it is. I just know it's a burning in me that has always been there ever since I knew the Lord. And yeah. um, if I if I never uh, hit that moment where I say this is it, it won't matter because it's kept me alive and kept me going. This sense of uh, purpose and meaning, it's unending. I think it probably is what it means to be a child of God and to, and yeah. to be truly... To, to truly know that no matter what else happens, this is what matters. Um, it defines our life, Kim. So let's look at faith and let's just ask what it is one more time. Let's, as yeah. everyone else in scripture, faith is a response. God initiates and a person responds. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, the word of God that came to Abram was a spoken word, not a written word. And so God's unconditional promises are received by faith. I'm only saying that because as much as I am a word of God Christian, and anybody who ever hears me is, is going to get the Bible till they're just sick of it, because I'm a Bible God. Yeah, I, yeah, we're Bible people, Kim. But right. but but God has spoken to me, and He has yes. spoken to you. Yes. And we live by that. We yes. live. Yes. We test everything by the written scriptures, but yeah. if God only ever spoke to me in a book, I would, I would think that I might be impoverished. Yeah. Because he's he word. speaks to us by his spirit. He does. All right. 
Um, by the way, I, I just want to, as you go to covenant sacrifice, I just want to note, this is such a pat, marvelous passage here. I just want to note that um, when Melchizedek came to Abram, he brought bread and wine. Yes. And so and these images of our faith never, they, they're intentional. Um, yeah. Our Lord Jesus comes to us in and as bread and wine. And, and um, yeah. we find it very deeply rooted in the scriptures. Well, in chapter 15, verse 9, he said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought them all, cut them in half, and laid them over against the other. But he didn't cut the birds in half. Yeah, because, of course, that would be fairly absurd. And then verse 12, And the sun was going down, and a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted 400 years. Um, we know about that. Kim, pick up with the 14th verse and do the next two slides for me. Genesis 15, 14. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And the next one? So Genesis fifteen seventeen. when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot. And a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Okay, we pause here. And by the way, Kim, I, I, I asked you to read these texts. Um, you are such a voice. <laughs> and and um, just hearing your voice as you read the scripture... Um, I do know that the people who walk with you and know you are so blessed because even the sound of your voice carries the fullness of your calling. Even the sound of your voice uh, carries the uh, essence of the devotion that you have to our Christ. And the sound of your voice conveys him and is important. So here I am on your podcast and I'm filling the air. Um, and yet you're the one that God has set as a voice for the nations. And uh, I just want to honor that and encourage you in that and tell you that um, it's a, it's wonderful to have you as a friend. So <laughs> thank you, friend. I love you so much. Um, so this passage, Kim, is so significant because a couple things yeah. happen. One is, when God wants to actually perform the covenant, that is when he actually wants covenant partners to walk through the pieces and swear the oath. This is where the oath swearing takes place. Mm -hmm. um, Abram goes to sleep, is put to sleep, I think, and receives a revelation about his family. Um, 
so he doesn't even have a son yet, but now he has a revelation about his family and the fact that his family is going to spend 400 years in servitude. Mm. And, and so he has that before, like I said, before he ever has a family. Now, now when, when you do a covenant, two partners, especially if you do an equal covenant, two partners walk between the pieces and they both swear the oath. Now, Abram could not be an equal partner with God. No. And so God solves the problem. And it's a beautiful thing here. God himself passes between the parts in two manifestations, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Now, I don't want to try to break down those two pieces too much, except to say this. God swore the covenant for himself, and then God swore the covenant for Abram. God actually swears both sides of this covenant, which is oh, why, it, yeah, it's why it's an unconditional covenant. It's why, except I'm going to, I'm going to draw back on unconditional. It's not completely unconditional. Abram without faith would not have received the promise. Mm. Now, now, faith yeah. isn't what Abraham brings to the covenant. It's faith is what is created in him by hearing God's promise. So even faith is the gift of God, as, as we say. But still, without faith, Abram will not experience this covenant. And, and you and I, from this day, from that day to this, we are the... We, Abram is the father of faith. Mm -hmm. And we, by the way, we still all act like him. And, and so let's go. <laughs> to, I have a note here about faith and presumption. Faith falters as time is fleeting. In other words, the dude's getting older. So Sarai, his, uh, his wife Sarah's pre-covenant name, she comes up with the solution of Hagar in Genesis 16, and Hagar gives birth to Ishmael, and um, he's a wild donkey of a man, and I don't know why I misspelled his name in the second one, uh, and his hand <laughs> is against everyone, and now Abram, uh, and again, still Abram, I keep making mistakes in my own slide making, uh, is 86, <laughs> he's 86 years old, so he went from 75 to 86, and we know that the fleeting of time, something is happening, and our next pieces are gonna are gonna tell us what is happening. And Kim, if you don't mind reading the scripture for the next three slides, it'll help us. Sure. Genesis 17, 9. And God said to Abram, Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between you and me. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting 
covenant in verse 14, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Okay, so you can see that something has happened in this text. So I left out some of the narrative in verse in 17:9, God said to Abraham. So by now he's been given a new name, and that brings us to our next piece. A new name. Um, the name Abram, um, exalted father, becomes Abraham, father of a multitude. Sarai becomes Sarah princess. And I love to tell people the meaning of their name when I run into Sarah's. And then, so what they do, Kim, is they incorporate the sound of God's name into their name, the ch, the ha, Yahweh. And, mm -hmm. um, and so, and so they, they get a covenant name that sounds with God's name. And then God becomes the Lord God of Abraham. So God takes Abraham's name into his name. A couple things here. God says, I'm going to make your name great. Uh, Kim, here's an interesting thing. The name Abraham is probably still on planet Earth uh, more celebrated than the name Jesus or Yeshua. It's still the great, it, it, and, and we know that Jesus has the name that's above every name. And we know mm -hmm. that Jesus' name will be the highest name of all. But mm -hmm. there's still work to do because if you count the Christian world and the Muslim world, the name of Abraham is the name that is still the, the exalted name. So it's very interesting. And God's not stressed out about it. He's going <laughs> to... He's going to work that through fine. But also, <laughs> also, God is, he does this thing that is exhausting. Here's Abram with this name, exalted father, and he has no children. So God says, yeah. let's call you father of a multitude. So imagine Abram going out and saying, my name is now Abraham. And people <laughs> saying, you're an idiot, sir. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. <laughs> But, but by now, Abram is wealthy and he's powerful. And so I don't think many people told him to his face that he was an idiot. <laughs> but, but God gives him a name that to carry that name is to, is to expose yourself to shame and ridicule. That's an interesting mm. thing. Yeah. And so let's, let us bear the name of the Lord. And let's talk about what I call covenant cakes. And the Lord appeared to him. <laughs> the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of memory as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. And he said, O Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant, let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself. And after that, may you pass on in chapter 18, verse nine. And they said to him, where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year 
and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening (laughs) at the tent door behind him. (laughs) Let me just say something. First of all, I don't think that the three visitors is the Trinity. I think it's um, the Lord and a couple of angels, actually. And I think that the the scriptures unpack that pretty plainly. And um, and then I love that Sarah is listening at the door and <laughs> love that. Don't you just love this image? And it, it, the story then kind of becomes cute. Um, as we read in verse 11, now Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in years. So now watch this. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So now we know, Kim, that she's beyond childbearing age. Yep. And now we know that this aging thing had come shockingly upon these generations and had happened very quickly. Um, um, So Sarah laughed to herself and said, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? I like that a lot. I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the Lord said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? And there's this word that we will see later in the Gospels. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And he doubles down at, the, at about um, at, at the appointed time. I will turn to return to you about this time next year. And Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, you laughed. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I love this. And um, then I just inject this one, one quick thing. But let me, let me, point, um, that, let me point out that, that um, both of them are now beyond. Uh, Abram's, Abram's body is dead. And there's no Viagra. Abraham's body is dead. There's no Viagra. <laughs> no Viagra. And and Sarah is beyond childbearing. And there's this. So of course it is kind of funny. I mean it's funny. And then yeah. uh, the Lord said you laughed, and she said she didn't. But he said no, you did. And and, and so now we come at this time we can take an accounting of uh, of how the covenant unfolded. And we note that it had terms and conditions. It had sacrifice and vows. It had changed names. It had a sign and it had a covenant meal. So this is, this is where um, all of the things that are involved in covenant making are more prominent in, in uh, Abraham's story than any other. And so we come to a very amazing little story here. And Kim, I don't know, do we have time to, to go into this? Uh, how long do you need? How many, how much do we have left here? We have, we have, we a, have bit quite a bit left. Yeah, we have okay. a bit left. Well, let's uh, I'm about to tell finish? them why don't we finish what? Why don't we take another five or ten minutes and then we'll close it down and we'll leave the rest for next week. Okay, I want to tell the if I can tell this story. Let's see. Yeah. I think I can tell the story of of, of Abimelech. Um, 
Okay. Or we can stop and we can come back with this. You choose. I think I'll tell, I think I'll tell this story and uh, okay. because chapter 20, I don't go into much of it in my notes here, but I, but I want to give this piece of the story because it's just phenomenal. So okay. um, Abraham travels again into the land of Abimelech. Now, Kim, Abimelech um, is a title, probably not a name, just like Melchizedek. And it, yeah. he was a king. And so when, when Abraham had been in the land of uh, Egypt, he, he told his wife, say you're my, say you're my sister. I know. And now, now it's so it's now, yeah. He does, now he tells the same thing. Kim, he's just been told this time next year, you're going to, you're going to behold your son. Yeah. He's yeah. traveling again and he goes into Bimelech's land and he says, you remember that deal we did do it again. Now, something has happened here, which is very phenomenal. Um, Kim, they're old. They're old. They're old. But they've mm -hmm. received a promise. And they did receive it. And now Abraham is telling his old wife to claim she's his sister so that Abimelech um, when he takes her into his own harem, that um, that Abram will be protected, won't be killed, so that Abimelech can have his wife. Now, I'm fascinated by this because the woman is 90 years old. Okay? Okay? Yeah. Now, if, you're, if you remember, when, we didn't go over this, but when Sarah's first introduced, she's introduced as a beautiful woman. Beautiful she's a, woman. Well, I used to joke and tell my churches, I was like, like, I don't know about you, but I'm a man and I have a lot of problems with lust, but I've, I've never lusted after a 90-year-old woman. <laughs> and, and then I look at my wife and say, but I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting, Kim, something has happened. Yes. We don't realize it. We overlook it. Because the Lord yep. comes to Bimelech and says, I'm going to kill you if you touch that woman. <laughs> and uh, Abimelech, right. Abimelech comes to Abram and says, what have you done? You've exposed my house to problems. And then there's this passage where Abraham prays for the sick of Abimelech's house and they're healed. Now, Kim, here's two or three things that are phenomenal about this story. And this is a good place for us to end. One okay. is it looks like Abraham and Sarah have been rejuvenated in their bodies. Wow. Her beauty has been returned. In other words, God put resurrection life in them. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Bless the Lord, O my soul, who heals all your diseases, who forgives all your sins. Amen. <laughs> Crowns your life with goodness so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I think that's a reference to Abraham and Sarah, that their yeah. youth was actually renewed. In other words, God, again, God put resurrection life in. Now, two quick things, and then we'll pray for, um, uh, for our listeners. One is Abraham is at his worst moment right now. He has a promise this time next year. You're going to behold your son. And he risks 
bringing a shadow of a question about the identity of the child by risking putting his wife in Abimelech's bed. He's, right. being, an, he's being an idiot. And God comes to Abimelech and says, there's a great prophet in your house. Kim, the first use of the word prophet in the Bible is when Abraham is at his worst and God tells Abimelech, he's a great prophet and he'll pray for you. And then also Abraham, Abraham prays for their healing and they're healed. So they're healed. The, first, the first mention of prophet and the first mention of healing are right here in the Bible. Wow, that's awesome. So when Abraham is at his very worst, God uses him. This is so important for you and me. I used to spend all my time thinking if I'm holy enough, if I'm good enough, if I'm righteous enough, yep. if I clean up my act right. enough, if I get all this stuff, God will use me. God will use me. I have to clean myself up. I have to clean myself up. Now, listen, I think that's a good motivation, <laughs> but it's not going to cause God to like me more or use me. That's right. <laughs> God takes Abraham at his worst and does God's best. This is amazing grace. This, this is, is a remarkable grace. Yeah. And so that's why I say to anybody who's listening, God will hear your prayers. God will answer your prayers. God will call you a prophet when you're not worth anything. And so I'm just yes. going to say to you, receive that. Receive that now. Just receive it. Allow yourself to receive the love of God in Christ. So I bless you, if you're a dear listener, I bless you to think of yourself as God thinks of you, to know yourself as God knows you, to, yes, um, love yourself because God loves you, and to, and to rest in the fact that God's favor is upon your life and he will use you. Yes, he wants you to clean up your act. But you clean up your act because he loves you. You don't clean up your act so he'll love you. And so may the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And may you just now receive the fact that he loves you with a love you didn't cause and with a love you can't destroy. And he will use you for his purposes, because of his goodness. Amen and amen. Woo, that was beautiful. That was beautiful. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Hawkins. Always so much fun to be with you. I learned a lot on this one. This is great. And I love the story of Sarah and Abraham. You know, I have, I have taught on that many times, but from the women's perspective and Sarah's, about Sarah's life. But that was a beautiful beautiful way to end this podcast. So everybody, if you're listening, um, we're bringing this to a close now and we will see you again next week for week seven. And uh, we'll finish up the study that we didn't, the part of Abraham's covenant that we didn't get to today and uh, go back and listen to the first five. Uh, also, if you haven't done that, make sure next week you bring your notepad, your pen, your Bible, and uh, Dr. Hawkins, we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody. See you then. Thank you for joining us for the Move Forward podcast. We would love for you to rate this podcast and share it with a friend. You can connect with Dr. Kim on social media. For those links and more, visit her website, kimmoss.com.
Host Dr. Kim Moss leads Kim Moss Ministries and Women of Our Time. She is the author of Prophetic Community, The Way of the Kingdom, Facing Ziklag, and The Four Questions. You can find both books on Amazon. Remember, never throw away your confidence. It is time to move forward.